and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Pacini. We are presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, Coles Wicker is here. It's going to be the, I don't know, do you want to call it a trade preview podcast? Just like a podcast about potential trades that are out there and are interesting. How do you want to phrase this? Yeah, I think it's just an initial cursory look at kind of the buyers and sellers and some of the players that could potentially be at play now that we've like past that December 15th deadline. We're starting to get into just the initial stage of potential trades. Yeah, and I'll be interested to see how quickly the trade market picks up because do you know what the last trade was, Cole? Uh, I do not off the top of my head. I probably should. It was the Chris Paul-Russell Westbrook trade. That is the last trade of any kind that has happened around the league. See, this summer was just basically like an alternate universe for me. Just the onslaught of moves. It's just, it's hard to even remember exactly the order. It was just, it was a crazy summer for trades. But it's just crazy that we haven't, like, there was nothing in training camp, for instance. There was nothing in, um, like, the start of the season just to, like, do change of pace trades, right? Or, like, change of situation trades. There were no August trades. It was – that is just weird to me that there was such a dead period, and there still has been such a dead period for trades. Yeah, I mean, you would expect a smaller move, but I just think the – just the onslaught would happen in July, and all of that was just so – so different like it was a different experience like just all of the widespread maneuvering with the Clippers and all of that maybe just teams exhausted trades even though yeah you typically do see smaller scale deals you know in in kind of the down months but again I don't think we've ever really we might have never seen a stint that we had this summer as far as free agency and how that trickled into team dynamics with trades and stuff well what I was going to say too is that I would bet you that NBA executives right now are like we just need to see what the fuck we got you know what I mean? Like we gotta we gotta figure out what we have on our team here at the end of the day. So I don't know, man. Like it'll be interesting to see if this is a quiet trade period or if teams like the Lakers, the Clippers, um, the Celtics, the Raptors, the Sixers, do they see a real opportunity and an opening in this season that seems pretty open in regard to the title to try and make that leap and try and make that next step toward winning a title? Yeah, 100%. And I think also we have to factor in some of the extensions that happened with Eric Gordon, for example, that were kind of last yeah. minute. We got we got some rookie extensions like Jalen Brown's extension that was kind of a surprise at the time. And those were potential trade guys, too. So I, I just think there were there were other moves that kind of impacted this. And I am very curious. And I think this is why this podcast might be value, is valuable. It's just literally looking at some of the potential buyers and sellers, some of the main cogs. I, I don't know what this trade deadline is going to be. It could be very quiet. There's been a lot of people that have speculated that, that have really looked at the teams and the contracts and said like you know 2020 for agency isn't very good either what kind of ramifications will that have on the market as well so where i'll just open the floor where do you want to start i mean what is the biggest name to you i think this is what people want to know is like we thought maybe bradley beal but he got extended that's not the the star i don't know if there's a star necessarily on the market but what is the biggest name is it drew holiday i think that might be a good place to start just after that report i think it was either yesterday or the day before that the pelicans were at least going to entertain offers for him yeah uh mark stein reported that Drew Holiday may be on the market to where David Griffin is willing to listen, at least. Uh, I, I don't know that I would go as far as to say he is actually on the market, like, sure. in as far as they're looking to move him. But I would say it's Drew Holiday or Kevin Love, probably, right? Yeah, I think either one of those is a good place to start. I'll so roll let, whatever you want to do. Let's start with Drew, because I think that Drew is better, to be honest. 
than Kevin. Like, I agree with that. Not to take a dig at Kevin, who I think is awesome, and I really enjoy his game. But Drew Holiday is just a better player now, and Drew uh, has, and I'm pulling up his contract as we speak, uh, Drew has three years left on his contract, including this one, at $26 million a pop, basically. That's a very reasonable contract for a guy that I think fits literally on every single team in the NBA because of his ability to knock down shots, defend, and handle the ball. I Is there a spot that you look at and say, this is the guy? Like, this is this is the guy that the uh, this team needs to take them over the top. I think two teams initially stick out. Everybody knows that Minnesota needs a point guard. That's kind of yeah. interesting. Not not the same timeline necessarily, precisely, but that's one of the positional teams that, that stands out. The other one's Miami to me. Miami, I think, is the one that stood out to me. To be honest, the second team that stood out to me was New Orleans. If I was New Orleans, I would keep Drew Holiday. Uh, Drew is just really good. I understand that like they might see it as wasting a year of his prime and um, you know only having him for two more years. I would not move Drew Holiday before I saw what I have with Zion Williamson and just seeing how this team operates with Zion and Brandon Ingram and uh, you know just all of the disparate pieces they have on this roster. But if they are going to consider moving him, Drew is a guy that is averaging 19.5 points, 6.8 rebounds, 6 point assists, 5 rebounds, 1.7 steals, elite-level defender. Um, just a guy that is really, really good at basketball. And the fit on Miami would be perfect because he's an excellent defender. He can create shots in the way that they need. You can play him. A backcourt of him, Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero, would be very, very good. And then you throw in uh, you know, guys like... Kendrick Nunn, Duncan Robinson, etc. Like this would be a very deep team, and that's the one that sticks out. Now the question is, how do you get him? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that's an important place to start is because this is not a situation where the Pelicans are just going to trade Drew Holiday. It's going to have to be a good offer, in my opinion. Like it's not one of those things where he has to go and they're going to sell him for less than his full amount or whatever that is on the open market. And if they don't like the offers, I think they'll just keep him. There isn't like any kind of desperation, I think, necessarily to move Drew. Like he has two years remaining this year and the next year, and then he has a player option for twenty-seven two. Basically, there are some incentives in his contract. I think like a hundred thousand or tied to all defensive team and then some other ancillary ones based on like assists and games played and whatnot. But I think a pretty reasonable contract. I don't think he's been quite as good this year overall, like in the games that I've right. watched of the Pelicans. Like he's not as impactful, but I still think he's a very, very good player. And to me, this is the reason we started with him is I think he's one of the most impactful players that could possibly be moved. I would, I know I said like putting him in a backcourt with Tyler Hero would be interesting. I would imagine that like Hero has to be the move piece there, right? Like that's, really the only way that a deal like that gets done. Like guys like Kendrick Nunn, who is kind of, he's fallen off a little bit. Like he's still good, but again, Kendrick Nunn, not a guy that I would ever trade for as an executive, given his past comments uh, and conviction for domestic uh, violence. But, you know, Tyler Hero is an interesting centerpiece if you're trying to construct a Drew Holiday package. Well, especially, and this is going to be my follow-up point with that, they don't really have their first-round picks to trade. They have the 2021 outgoing right. that's unprotected. They, they already have a first available tied up as well to Oklahoma City that's lottery-protected that becomes unprotected in 2026. So they don't even have the, really the pick capital that the, Pel, uh, the Pelicans could possibly be interested in. So I do think that if they want to get this deal done, Hero is the most natural 
kind of player that you throw into that deal. I, I think he almost has to be in that. I mean, maybe the Pelicans are really high on Justice Winslow. Potentially, he might have to be in it as, as well. I think that it's going to be a pretty decently sized package. It's not going to be one of those things where it's like an expiring contract plus like a, a relatively late first round pick. Like that's not going to get it done for Drew Holiday. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And like, so what? Justice Winslow has is the same length of contract as Drew Holiday. And worse, like he's just not as good as Drew Holiday. So like, if you're taking Justice, like I don't think Justice Winslow Kendrick Nunn gets it done. You know what I mean? Like, I, and I guess it'd have to be you throw in James Johnson steal or something like that. Like I, I just don't see how that deal gets this done. No, I don't think so. I think it has to be Hero, maybe Nunn as well. And then you, they have the salaries to aggregate. I'm not worried about that. They have Drogic's 19.2 million. That's what makes Miami alluring. They have some, I believe they have hard cap considerations to consider as well. So that's something that you have to factor in. But they have the contract, so at least get it done on expiring contract where it's not like the Pelicans are assuming a lot of money. Now, maybe if they include Hero, maybe the caveat Miami says is, okay, you take back James Johnson then in his 16.1 you know, player option next season. Maybe that's a negotiating dynamic. But I like Miami because the the fit is there. The win now need is there. Like I think Drew Holiday would be awesome on that team, roster construction-wise. And they yeah. actually have the flexible pieces where they could get a, done, a, a deal done of this magnitude. Because, again, with Drew Holiday, you're looking at $26 million. There's not a lot of teams that can realistically aggregate to get that amount in salary, and Miami can. The one team that we didn't mention here is Orlando. I mean, Orlando has the pieces to do something like that, too. I don't think they would want to move Jonathan Isaac. I don't think Mo Bamba would be particularly interesting to New Orleans just because they have Jackson Hayes. Uh, maybe, or I mean, like, unless unless the Pelicans really wanted Aaron Gordon or Jonathan Isaac, but, like, they have Brandon Ingram and uh, Zion Williamson. So, like, I guess maybe Orlando doesn't fit, but, like, roster-wise, like, Drew Holiday is exactly what Orlando needs. Yeah, the positional need is definitely there for them, even though the timelines, again, don't don't necessarily align perfectly. Yeah. I don't see Orlando trading Isaac. I think that's the guy that they're not going to move on. If they were going to trade Gordon, I, th- I think that might be more workable. Although, again, like you said, how does he fit on this next great Pelicans team? Maybe he's insurance in case they don't want to trade Brandon Ingram. Maybe the Pelicans trade Brandon Ingram at the deadline. Like, that, that's still conceivable with his restricted free agency rights. That that comes into play, but I, I don't know if that that's a perfect match. I, I don't know if Orlando would be willing to attach draft capital as well. They'd probably, they might have to do that. So there's a lot of moving parts of that, but obviously Orlando needs a point guard um, if they don't believe in a Fultz, and that's kind of a whole different sep- uh, conversation entirely. What about Denver? I had them on my list as well. I think that becomes interesting. We've heard that you know Michael Porter's not necessarily available, but they have Gary Harris. Their, their picks are also a little bit tied up, so that's kind of where I landed on. I was like, I don't know where this gets any momentum unless they're really willing to part with Michael Porter and if the Pelicans like him. Yeah, and like Michael, again, plays the same position as Brandon and Zion. So, like, why would you do that, yes. I guess, would be my thing. It would almost have to be, like, we think Drew Holiday is much better than Gary Harris, and we're willing to attach, like, Gary Harris, Monte Morris, and, like, I don't even know. Like, it's probably not even, like, maybe it's, like, Gary Harris and, like, Malik Beasley or something. Like, I don't even think that gets it done, though, for Drew Holiday, given their pick situation. 
Yeah, I mean, they can do a 2022 first available first um, with some kind of protection that lapses, of course, within seven years. But I, I don't know how alluring that is to the Pelicans. Like, I, it, A lot of this comes down to what David Griffin wants. Do you want an immediate piece? Do you want draft capital? Do you want a good young player? He probably wants a combination of those. And that, that's where it gets harder is because a lot of, not a lot of teams can really offer all of those things. Yeah, and like I don't think Utah probably gets involved just because – I think they're going to wait for Mike Conley to get healthy and get right. Dallas, I think, would be interesting, too, playing him next to Luka. Yeah, that, like, that's possible, although he impinges on their cap flexibility, I think, in 2021, right? He does, yeah, and you probably don't want to do that. And, like, I don't even know that they have the pieces anyway to do it, just because, like, I don't think that Jalen Brunson's going to, like, be the guy in a Drew Holiday deal, right? So, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to find the right Drew Holiday fit unless, like, does San Antonio try and come to the table with, like, Derek White and, like, a couple of their young pieces? Like, they've had six first-rounders in the last three years or four years. Like, could you make a case for Derek White, uh, Lonnie Walker, and Luka Samanich or something? You could. Uh, again, that comes down to what the Pelicans desire. They they could, you know, throw Rudy Gay as a salary filler, although he's $14.5 next season. Do the Pelicans want that? Do they want Patty Mills for 13 too? That would probably have to be a three-team trade. I think a team would probably be interested in Patty. I don't know if that team is the Pelicans. There, there, there are iterations. I have two teams that are actually interesting to me. We've already talked about Minnesota. What do you think yeah. about that? Because I think they could make an interesting case with Culver. They have their first-round pick. They could protect that. They have salary matchers. They have Jeff Teague on an expiring. They also have, if they want to actually include both Culver and a first, I think they might be able to get the Pelicans to take on Gorgie Dang, potentially, if, if there's more draft capital there. There's just some. There's several iterations of that trade that actually make some sense. So what would you say, Culver, Teague, and a first? I think that's one iteration, yeah. Maybe. It's not bad. It's probably the, – the thing with the Pelicans that I'm just trying to find is spacing for both Brandon Ingram and for Zion, right? And the question around Jarrett continues to be the jump shot, right? Like he shot 25% from three so far this year, really fell off a cliff late last year. Um, yep. Yeah. I don't know that I would do that if I am the Pelicans, even though I really – like Jarrett quite a bit. I don't know that I would want to pair Jarrett with Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. For them, I would rather have Tyler Harrow. I think he makes more sense with Agree. their roster. So that's how I would lean as well. Um, but yeah, I just think Minnesota is interesting to bring up because they could actually kind of have, they have Teague, who's like a capable point guard. He can give you some kind of immediate fit there. They have a prospect in Culver and they have their own first available. Just one of those teams that has the enti entire kind of repertoire, even though I'm not really sold on it either. I think I tend to lean more towards you. I have a really interesting one that you probably weren't going to name because it's definitely weird because their backcourt is already locked in considerably into the future. What do you think about Portland here? What and do CJ? Not even CJ. I w I'm thinking, like, they have an expiring, they have Whiteside, they can trade with Nurkic coming back. They have, you know, Zach Collins, he's out for the year. But as a, as a prospect, I actually liked what I saw from Collins a lot before he got injured. I think he took a step. Agree. And then they have, they have guys like Anthony Simons, they have Nasir Little, and they also have their picks. And I think the thing with Drew Holiday for me is, like, I think he can play the three in a lot of matchups. I don't view him as like this one-two necessarily. Like he defends small forwards all the time. So I think he's more versatile. And you're already attached to Dame and CJ. You're already all in. I think that's kind of interesting. If you roll out Dame, CJ, and Drew Holiday in the playoffs, I think that's kind of interesting to me. It's definitely interesting to me. 
I what you run into there is the opportunity cost of being able to go get something else if you're Portland, right? Because you're basically cashing you have to cash in your chips for something, right? And yep. is it worth cashing in your chips for Drew versus trying to cash them in for Kevin Love? who fits the roster a lot better in terms of like positionality and in terms of the way that he just kind of is able to space the floor for those two. I think you can make a case that Drew would be better. Like, I, I don't think that's a bad case necessarily, but if you're Portland and you might be able to make those moves for Blake Griffin, would you rather do that? If you think Blake is like going to be able to get fully healthy at some point? See, I don't think so. I I love Blake as a player, but I think he's definitely taken a step back this year, and that contract with his injury concerns really worry me. That's kind of where I'm at with, I mean, Love, too. He's a solid player. I do agree conceptually he fits this roster well. I don't know if he's a great guy to have in the playoffs. We've seen the switchability. He can't protect the rim. There's defensive concerns on this roster. I'm just looking at the best available player, and I think that's Drew Holiday. It's a good question if, if I think Blake is better than Drew. Drew. Blake was certainly better than Drew last year. Like Yes. But... And but like also how much into the is, future too. Yeah, like how much of his athleticism has been totally sapped versus just like momentarily sapped from trying to recover from this injury, right? I don't actually I don't know. It'd be a it'd be much greater of a risk and much greater upside to try and go get Blake, but I don't know that that would be the right call. So, it's kind of tough. Yeah, I mean, Blake at 35 this year, 37 next year, and then the player option for 39 in 2021. That's just a, that's a bit rich. And I, I love Blake. I've said that numerous times. Like, I think he's a really good player, and he was awesome for the Pistons last year. I just, I, I think from a risk assumption standpoint, I would feel, I would have some cold feet uh, taking on that contract and going all in with that core of Dame, CJ, and Blake when so much is relying on health, especially with Blake. There's no way Oklahoma City gets involved, right? What do you think the pitches? They, we have a million first-round picks. Um, <laughs> we have Gallinari's expiring contract that can get us damn near matching salaries. We'll throw in Terrence Ferguson uh, to get us to the point where we're matching salaries and give you multiple firsts. It's really funny with them because they seem to be going the opposite way. Like, they want to rebuild. Um, but do they, they don't even... Like, I, I don't know. Like, that's a great question because they're in the playoffs right now. <laughs> right. But like, that's all, all the reports we hear about them are like potentially Steven Adams is available or Gallinari is available. But like, there's a real chance they could be like the seventh seed in the West, and Drew Holiday would help them a ton in the playoffs. Like, and they might not even have to deal Gallinari. They might be able to get off Schroeder if they attach some of these assets plus you know, Andre Roberson. Like, they can aggregate contracts without actually trading any of their core players. So if you roll into the playoffs with Chris Paul, Drew Holiday, Shay Alexander, Gallinari, and Steven Adams, like, that's a pretty formidable five. It's actually like a five that can steal a playoff game or two. That's what I'm saying. It's like, what direction – This is we talked about this before the season. What direction does Sam Presti go? All these assets – but if you sit there and you look at the West, and you're like, okay, we can make the playoffs, and we might be able to win a round. Like, where, where do you go? Like, you're not going to sacrifice any high-level assets, probably, but, I mean, it's worth entertaining, possibly. I kind of think it is. If I was them, I would really look into it. Like, I would legit. Because Chris Paul, like, how much have you watched the Thunder, like, a ton this year? Chris Paul's been good this year, man. Chris Paul's been really good. Like, he's really, he's really good. good. He's I agree. unbelievable. Like, he's been, 
He's actually been, in my opinion, he's been better than Drew Holiday this year. And I'm, that's not an indictment yeah. on Holiday. It's just how good I, I think Chris Paul is. Like the, how he's defended at 34 years old for a six-foot point guard. I mean, everybody saw the Bulls game where he just went off in the fourth quarter offensively. But the defense, too. Like, he's, he's still a really good player. I, I'm, I've, I've been really impressed with him. 100% agree. He's really good. Like, he's, he's just so good. And you throw out Chris Paul, Shea Alexander, Drew Holiday. Like, that's a terrifying backcourt. And, like, you don't necessarily have to only put Drew on threes there. You can switch Shea down to the three if, yep. if you feel the need. Like, that's a that's a formidable backcourt. And then you mix them with Steven Adams. Like, that is – that's a good team that I don't think teams would want to play all that much in the playoffs. I don't think I would either. And this is one of the things – I didn't even entertain them just because I was, like, just from what I thought the perception of them and how they're trying to move forward. But maybe that changes. You know, that stuff happens all the time. Like, maybe they weren't expecting the West to be like this at the bottom half. Again, I don't think Sam Presti's going to trade considerable assets to get Drew Holiday, but maybe he can just outbid some of these other teams with the picks that they have. So that's also really interesting. Football and basketball seasons are in full swing. Get into the game with our exclusive sports betting partners, betonline.ag. Sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit to start betting college or professional basketball. Every spread, every total, every winner or loser, straight bets, parlays, or teasers. Uh, you can even bet on wild prop bets. You know, NFL MVP, I think Lamar's like a wild favorite right now. Uh, who is going to win the college football playoff? Get the fastest to market odds and payouts with our new sportsbook partners, betonline.ag. Head over to betonline today on your mobile device to join and use promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus. That's CLNS50 for a 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Uh, Let's talk about Kevin Love real quick. When I talked to executives this past summer slash in the spring about taking on Kevin Love's deal last offseason, the take was that None of them said they would want to do it. And I talked to like five or six of them. None of them said, and I reported this in the athletic too. So I'm not like breaking new ground here. Um, None of them would want to do it. And they would require the Cavs to attach a first round pick because they think of the love deal as a sunk cost and kind of underwater. Having said that, they all thought that someone would probably be willing to give up an asset and that eventually it would turn into enough of a bidding war to where the Cavs would be able to get, like, a late first-round pick and salary matching. Is that kind of where you stand on the Kevin Love saga? That's Yeah, I, I'm pretty much there as far as – I'm not saying necessarily what I would do, but how I think it will play out, that's where I came out as well. There's two teams that really stood out to me in this talk. Where, where do you come down on that? Well, Portland, I think, is the one that has gotten the most publicity – if they would only have to give up, like, Nasir Little and Hassan Whiteside, sure. You know what I mean? Like, go for it, right? Yeah. Uh, who was the second one that you had? I had Phoenix, and I should have mentioned Phoenix yes. for Drew Holiday as well. Phoenix, I just think we, we teased this on the last podcast we did, but they have some really interesting contracts. I mean, Tyler Johnson's $19 million expiring. I think they're going to use that to get the, to vault this team. Again, I think the Suns, they have taken a little bit of a step back recently as far as standings, but I think at full strength with Devin Booker healthy, this team can make a run, too, for the eight seed. And I think they're going to view it that way. So Tyler Johnson's $19.2 million expiring is actually pretty valuable for this discussion. They could throw in Kaminsky, who has a team option in the second year as well. So that would 
allow them to aggregate to get to a Kevin Love level salary. And I don't know what they do as far as picks. They're, I don't think they're not throwing in like Cam Johnson. I don't think the Cavs are getting Mikhail Bridges for him. Maybe the Suns, because they've had so many prospects, feel more amenable to trading a protected first rounder. Maybe like a lottery protected. So they, if they make the playoffs, maybe you get something like that as well, very peak value. The, but I do, here's the name. I'll give it to you. It's Ty Jerome. It, oh, oh yeah, but the ties there, of course. The that's, Cavs that's, were yeah. interested in Ty Jerome pre-draft last year. Um, would not shock me if, like, they decided, hey, Ty Jerome, Tyler Johnson, and, like, a heavily protected first that turns into two seconds or something. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think the like, Suns are the team, to me, that makes the most sense to do this. I still don't think, like, Portland is fine. I think that's committing way too many resources, such a risky allocation. I would rather go after Drew Holiday if I was Portland just straight up, even with the fit. I think the Suns with, with Kevin Love are kind of interesting, though, because long-term, it does give them floor spacing around DeAndre Ayton at the four. Um, Love's a better player than Dario Saric. The rebounding, they could really double down on that defensive rebounding. And it just seems kind of like a move, getting another veteran in the locker room that Phoenix would entertain. And by the way, in that case, I think then what you do with Aaron Baines gets complicated. Because uh, you, if you're trying to make a playoff push and you're planning on playing in the playoffs, you're going to play Love at the five sometimes in the playoffs. So what do you do with Baines then? You probably try and move Baines somewhere else then, right? I would probably keep him. Uh, it depends on what the return is, of course, right? Like, that's the caveat. Like, if they can get a first-round right. pick for him, I'd trade him. But in this big market, I don't know if you're getting that. You might get a good second for Aaron Baines in the right situation, which I would, I might entertain if I was the Suns. But, again, with Baines, there's, there's a cultural element to that, too. The guy that battles yeah. DeAndre every day in practice. Like, I think that might outweigh, for me, if I had more intel on the situation, that might outweigh trading him for maybe a second-round pick. That's a, that's a really good point, uh, just battling – DeAndre and making him better every single day in practice. If I'm the Clippers, I might be willing to give up something real to get Aaron Baines. I'm just saying. That is really interesting. And they, they have their 2000. I mean, if they were going to give up a first, they have their 2020 first rounder available. They have other assets they could also deal as well. So that's something to watch. And he fits everything about their culture, their ethos, getting Clipper guys in there. Um, and that's like the one spot that they could really upgrade. Like we talked last podcast on like, I don't really think they need a center upgrade. But if they got Aaron Baines, that would be the perfect guy for them. And we also talked about how versatile and multiple the Clippers are in their lineups. They don't really have a stretch five. Like, Zubats right. is more of, like, your big man. Like, you need a bigger body against them. Baines can do that, too. Harrell is more of your dive man um, in space and stuff. He puts a lot of pressure on the rim. And Baines, with his shooting, which has regressed a little bit of late, but still, he's, he'd be by far the best shooter at the five spot. So give them a different dynamic there. I mean, here's the question. Would you just be willing to do Zubats for Baines? On both sides? Oh, that's a good question. I think I would, frankly. I, I think Baines is better than Zubats. I, some people might disagree with some of the advanced stats, but I, I think Baines is the better player, and I value his floor spacing and his physicality on defense. So I think I would And you Baines. get him for four years. You mean, yeah, Zubats, you mean, right? Yeah, Zubats. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. And I think for a younger team, like for, as a backup center, what, what's he paid? He gets like, what, $8 million a year or something like that? It's not terrible. I mean, you might be able to allocate your resources better with Aiton as your full-time five, right? Because you're not going to play them together. That's something, to, that's something to have a discussion about as far as can you allocate that salary better? Because Phoenix does have some higher-end salaries that they have to, to deal with moving forward. But I, I don't think it's bad. I mean, Zubats is seven, I think, right? Um, let me, I know it was, I think it was 428. Yeah, it starts, you're right. Starts at 6'4", 
escalates to seven. You're right. It's so seven, seven, five, and then seven, five again. Not terrible. And last year, I believe, is a team option. Yes. So that, that's reasonable for a backup center and a good one. Yeah. Like, I think I would do that if I was both teams, to be honest. I really do. I, I like this ancillary throw-in. We, we didn't <laughs> brainstorm that at all. <laughs> no, we did not talk about that at all. But that is a – I mean, that just makes the Clippers even more terrifying to me. Um, I like that a lot. I mean, I'm, ca- I'm calling both sides today. There you go. And I, I, again, I, I do think Phoenix is a, the team to watch at the trade deadline right now, as far as buyers. Like I, I just working out all the the different options. I, I think they're a, a potential buyer for Holiday. You're probably going to have to throw McHale in there. I think McHale's an awesome buy low because he's not shooting well. And I, I think there's a lot of mental elements. It's going to take some more intel to discern that and like how you want to move forward. But as a prospect, he was an awesome shooting prospect and everything else is translated. That's probably one of the better young prospects that the Pelicans could get. And then Phoenix, of course, has their own pick capital. So just a team to watch overall, the Suns. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, let's talk about Philly and just like trying to fill the desperate need they have to shoot the ball. Okay. Is there anyone out on the market that like just stands out? And, like, look, I know that Philly is sixth right now in three-point percentage, but they're only taking them on 33% of their three-point – or 33% of their overall field goal attempts because they don't have a lot of true shooters. They just take smart threes. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of lazy, but the, the obvious guys are, are former – 76ers. I mean, if J.J. Reddick comes on the market, I think right. with like the multiple lineups and what he can do in unlocking that offense with the two-man game with Simmons and Embiid, I think he would be someone to look at. I don't expect that they'll have enough firepower to get someone like Robert Covington if he, if he comes on the market, but I, I think they should look around for another shooter. But really, what they really need, they need someone like Drew Holiday, in my opinion, who can actually initiate an offense and also shoot relatively well and be more of an, an, an honest point guard in the playoffs, even though Holiday's not like a true, true point guard. But they, I don't think they really have any kind of salary structure or the contracts to really get that done. Right. Like, even if they were willing to throw in Josh Richardson into such a deal, um, what like even like Richardson, Mike Scott, who is like their next highest paid guy outside of that big four structure, and Zaire Smith, like who are like that gets you to seventeen it gets you to like eighteen million and that's still not enough to match salaries. I was doing that last night, exactly right. Like it's one of those things where they just don't have the contracts to actually aggregate together. And if they were doing that, it would be one of those situations where they're trading like five or six guys, and that's just not realistic. You know what I mean? That's something that you put on the trade machine on ESPN, but it's really not something that executives are going to do. Is like gut your team, gut your depth for one guy. They just don't have it. Right. And like, if I'm the Pelicans, I don't want to buy Saris. So it's just not. I don't think that's feasible. But I do think that like. They could pretty, like, if they wanted to throw in, like, the deal that we talked about last week was uh, Davis Bertans for Zaire Smith and, like, salary ballast. Uh, The Wizards have since come out and said that they aren't real interested in trading Davis Bertans. They have also decided to sign Andrzej Pesechnik to a two-way contract. And my conspiracy tinfoil hat theory is that they decided to do that as a, A, because they needed someone who could step in and fill minutes because they have a hole in the front court right now. But they also did that because he is the same agent as Bertons. Same agent, yeah. And may have done it as uh, a little, hey, you know, take take care of you guys, you know. Just remember us That's a great, when, great when you come up. So, uh yeah, because Pesechnik was the worst player I watched in summer league last year. He was I, 
we talked about that. It was I very much agree with that, and that's a great call, the agent, because that's how a lot of the stuff works too. It's like you you do guys a favor and you get in good graces and you get a better you know a better shot at landing Bertans as a free agent. Yeah, and that comes from no inside information. I'm just just saying that's a that's a thing <laughs> that exists. Um, but I, again, like I don't know if they're going to move Barton. So like with Philly, JJ Redick is the one that does make the most sense. I just don't know how you. I don't even know how you do the salary structure for JJ. That's a great point. I mean, you you'd have to deal like Josh Richardson, and I don't think they do that straight up. Right. Like I, there's a reason he's there to defend point guards, even though I think that he's had problems with guys like Kemba, for example. Maybe they think Stiebel can do that in, in the playoffs. But, yeah, I, I tend to agree. I don't know if they really have – it's tough to find a trade partner for them unless Josh Richardson's involved. And then you're looking at – you need to get, like, a, a starter caliber back who they really value. Yeah, for them it's going to be, like, almost taking flyers on guys, sort of, right? Like, you're going to be just, like, hoping that this guy works out. Um, like Bertans is the highest, you know, upside kind of guy I think that they could get that would really make a lot of sense. But I don't know if they can do that. And like I'm not, you know, certain that CJ Miles works on an NBA floor anymore. Unfortunately, um, like it's hard to find like one guy that really makes a lot of sense unless like I mean like I've been trying to find a way to get Tomas Sadoransky out of Chicago because that's a really good contract and he's someone that is just like a good point guard who is big and can play multiple positions. And you could see a world where the Sixers would value his positional size, um, a reluctant shooter though, even though he is a good shooter. So like you could do something like Mike Scott and Zaire, I think gets you there if you want to do that. But like, I don't even know that I would want to sell low on Zaire like that, even with Sadoransky being able to help them. Yeah, that just – how do they view Zaire at this point with how his development, what happened last year with the weight loss, that's, that requires more intel. I think maybe you look at a team like the Nets. I don't think this is realistic, but you have Joe Harris, who's an expiring contract. Do they think they can resign him to a friendly amount? Like, if they don't think so, maybe they entertain Mike Scott and Zaire Smith or something. like. You know what I mean? So there's, there's situations where I think just more intel is needed to really gauge what the franchise can do, and especially with a guy like Zaire, we just don't know enough. Yeah, and, like, it's just hard to find shooters around the NBA. Like, it's hard to find the right guy that, like, makes the most sense for the Sixers that's available. Um, Like, I I just can't really find that guy. Like, they don't have – maybe, like, Alan Crabb gets bought out. Like, do we think that's a possibility? Sure. Yeah, the buyout market, I I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but that's the kind of player I think maybe, like, a Solomon Hill from Memphis or – that kind of player, which doesn't really help you a ton, but just maybe gives you some some bench shooting depth. That's basically what you're looking at with the buyout market. Yeah, like Alan Crabb, I think, would help them quite a bit, just in terms of having functional lineups with floor spacing. Because, like, really, it's it's hard for them to find floor spacing right now when they're out there. And especially keeping their defensive identity. Because, I mean, they've gone pretty much all in on defense to the level that we haven't really seen in the past with their defensive size. So how much do they want to sacrifice any of their... Like, frankly, like they they have a strength that no other team really has in the league. How much do they want to sacrifice on their lineups? What about Langston Galloway? Yeah, he's effective. I I think Langston's actually pretty good. It depends. He's an expiring, right? He is. Yeah, 7-3. So, like, it fits within their money. They can do it. Yeah, and especially with Detroit, like if you start to 
go down the hill a little bit, especially with Blake's health. I really hope that's not the case. But you can convince yourself maybe you sell high on Galloway. And, again, I think someone like Zaire might be of interest. I don't know what the the value assessment it is. Like, I probably value Zaire more than the league does. So that's just, again, I, I just don't have enough to, like, approximate what the team is likely to do there. I live in Los Angeles, but I like watching, you know, UK Netflix or any sort of different streaming apps that are slightly different than they are in America. That's why I have got ExpressVPN. It is super useful. You can just log in to the United Kingdom. You can log into Australia and you can get a different selection of movies, TV shows, etc. than you have on regular Netflix. And uh, or on regular whatever streaming app you want to use just because the rights are different. The rights holders are a little bit different. And, you know, there are ways that you can get around blackouts with uh, NBA League Pass. And uh, it's just a really, really valuable tool. It also more and above all protects your information. I use VPNs every single minute that I am online because I think that they're really important uh, in order to protect your information from going out. Uh, They work on computers, phones, routers, consoles like a Fire TV. I am a big fan of ExpressVPN, and I have an offer for you. Uh, Use my special link today at expressvpn.com slash theory to get three months free with a one-year package. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S, VPN.com slash theory, T-H-E-O-R-Y, for three months free plus a one or four or with a one-year package. So visit expressvpn.com slash theory to learn more. Now let's move uh, move forward here, Cole. What about uh, Boston? Boston has the obvious hole at center, but much like Philadelphia, it's hard to like find the right guy. Like it's hard to find a player that fits within their salary structure. If you assume like I do that none of Kemba Walker, Gordon Hayward, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown are available. That's exactly where I got to last night. I was looking at Boston and it's like, yes, they do need a center. We've seen Steven Adams get rumored there, but you don't want to give up Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart's really, really good. He's really valuable to that team, like what they want to do. He's their most versatile defensive player, who's also one of their smartest playmakers. I'm, I'm not sure. There's, there isn't like a center in that range. Like I, Steven Adams makes too much money. Like You're not trading Gordon Hayward with how he's looked. You're not punting on their, their wing depth. So there's just not a lot of options that really make sense, especially the higher paid centers. Yeah, I, like they can't really go for a $20 million a year center. It just is unrealistic. Like, to me, the perfect guy for them is Tristan Thompson. But that's a buyout. Like, it ha- like you basically are hoping that he doesn't get dealt at the deadline, like someone doesn't take him from them, and you're hoping that he is just there for a buyout market guy. Yeah, definitely. I think one interesting – this guy can't guard Embiid. But something to watch with them, if the Clippers did entertain trading Montrezl Harrell, like that would be the salary range where the, the Celtics could jump at that. They have Daniel Tice, they have Canner, they have salaries in that range. They have Langford, they have picks, they have Milwaukee's pick incoming, which probably isn't going to be that valuable. That's one to watch, just because again they can get to that number. God, I can't. I really would be surprised if the Clippers traded Montrez. I, 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 I would be too. Yeah, I would be pretty shocked by that if that was to happen. Um, it is hard though to find the center that makes sense for them. Like none of none of the Knicks guys make a lot of sense. I don't think um, they all just make too much money. Uh, I mean, like, maybe, I would say maybe like a guy like Kem Burst in Orlando, just a, a total buy low guy who I like, but 
that Orlando doesn't really have the playing time for. I think that's going to be the kind of trade that would make sense to Boston, not like this. I, I actually know. I know who the guy is that I would do if I was them. I would try to get Jakob Pertl out of San Antonio. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely they can do that price-wise. It's just the asset-wise, like what – I don't know if Boston's going to give up like a first-round pick for a center of that caliber. You know what I mean? I think he's actually, like, really good defensively. Like, we've talked about this before. I think yeah. he is genuinely, like, a guy that you can play in the playoffs defensively. Uh, like, I think he can move his feet. I think he moves his feet well enough. I think that he uh, is a really good rim protector. He dealt with Jokic reasonably well last year in the playoffs. Like, I I mean, like, I'd be willing to give up Romeo Langford for him if he was willing to, you know, maybe, you know, wink, wink, sign an extension with me. Something entertaining. Also, like, do the Spurs even want to give up on Jakob Pertl? Like, they're another team where I have no idea what they what they're planning to do. Like, they could go even try to win now, even though they're not winning. Or I don't I don't know. Do they trade one of their, in their opinion, better young players? Like, it depends on how they value Romeo Langford, of course. Yeah, like it's weird because the Spurs drafted Lucas Omanich last year, who you know, kind of a four or five tweener. They still have Lamarcus Aldridge and have sort of kind of guaranteed his deal. Jeff Siegel kind of told me that that's not 100% done yet, but it will be in January, I believe. Um, what, they still have, like, Drew Eubanks and guys like that? Like, I don't – It's to me it's possible that the Spurs just aren't going to want to pay Jakob Pertl. Like, either they move into a new era and try and rebuild, and you don't want to pay Jakob Pertl that way, or you're trying to com- contend next year, and you probably have to try and use your salary cap space or at least like as much of what you can get out of it as you can depending on what DeMar decides to do because uh, they can actually have real cap space if DeMar decides to go if I remember correctly so like if I was them I probably don't really see the Jakob Pertl long-term fit that's probably fair honestly I, I'm not even going to spend time trying to figure out what the Spurs are going to do I just right. don't know it's hard. they could go so many different ways this is like the most obvious guy for Boston, again, you run into some aggregation issues, but Derek Favors, I think that would be a yeah. low-cost option that would be interesting, but they'd have to aggregate you know, Daniel Tice, Enos Kanter. They'd have to trade their center depth, which is fine. I mean, Kanter's not going to do anything for you really in the playoffs, even though he was okay last year. Um, you can include, you know, more of like a three-for-one deal, and, you know, Kanter has a player option next year. You can kind of work out the details. That's possible. Some people have mentioned Derek Favors on a buyout. I don't think the Pelicans are going to do that. I think they'd value his bird rights and just having him for the rest of the season more than they would getting no return just buying him out, unless they're just doing him a solid and he wants to go to, like, a high-profile contender. But I, I would bet against that right now. $17 million for Favors, I think, even gets – you mentioned this, but I think it probably gets too tough for Boston to get it, to get that deal done. Yeah, and they also have hard cap concerns, of course, for the sign and trade with Kemba and Rozier. So it's a little dicier. I think they can make it work. I think there's ways around it, but it's not as simple as just Derek Favors to Boston, which is a pretty common idea. Just because he's the guy at the lower, the Pelicans obviously aren't very good. The, you have Hayes long term. It makes sense. It's just I don't know if it's practical. I'm gonna will Jakob Pertl to Boston. <laughs> that's the that's my move. They would go for the big white Austrian dude. That fan base would love him. They would. Um, where do you want to go next? Where I mean, like, Milwaukee is interesting to me just insofar as, like, I don't know what Milwaukee does, really. Like, do they just, like, kind of keep this gang together? Yeah, I thought about that. I don't know if there's a, a move for them that really moves the needle. 
Like, I think they would be interested in someone like Covington if he became available. I don't know, like, how Minnesota would value Dante DiVincenzo. Like, that's big, too, is, like, how – what are their assets? What are they giving up? And, and who moves the needle for them? Like, they're not going to make a move just to make a move. Like, they have enough depth now, I think, to survive in the playoffs. Uh, like, I don't know if a team's going to take on Eric Bledsoe. Like, they're another team where if I could, like, make a deal around Eric Bledsoe for Drew Holiday and, like, obviously um, – Milwaukee would include more than that. I would try to do that, but I don't think that's really that practical. Yeah, if I'm the Pelicans, I probably don't want Bledsoe's deal just because I yeah. don't – like I'm flexible right now. I wouldn't want to lock myself into that. Um, not even to say that Bledsoe's deal is bad. It's just like I would want the flexibility more than anything. Um, yeah, like if you're Milwaukee, you're probably only making like big moves. I, I don't really think that you're – messing around with like any anything like that right yeah again I think if they can get another reliable wing like with George Hill how he's played in the backup role I think they're fine at guard Bledsoe the shooting variance is always going to be there off the catch like what really moves the needle for them like they're set at center with how their rotation is you mentioned Bertans last time if they can get a shooter like that I think that they yeah. would entertain that for sure I think that's a that's a good call by you as far as parting with a potential asset, maybe they do it for someone of that caliber. Again, I just come back to like maybe Covington, but I don't think they have the juice to get that done. Yeah, Covington would be great for them. Speaking of Covington, like Minnesota, I would think is going to try and be active, um, just insofar as Gerson has been very active there uh, since he's been there. Uh, I would think that Wiggins is there. I would think Towns is there, and I would think the rest of the roster is up, like is up to be in potential discussions. Yeah, when I started surveying all the teams, this is like the first thing that popped to my mind. Just looking at positional need for Minnesota, they want a point guard. And looking at what team, if they are going to trade Covington and they're going to sell relatively high, like what team could really maximize the rest of Covington's career? I think it's the Nets. I think that trade for Dinwiddie, and like if there are other assets, the Nets have some other lower-cost guys like Kuruks. You know, Musa's not that valuable in my opinion. Nick Claxton, they have some picks. I think that's interesting. It's like a foundation deal because the Nets are all in on next season, basically, when Durant comes back. Like Durant's not healthy. They're not winning. Covington would be awesome next to Irving and Durant. I think that would be interesting. And I think Dinwiddie, you get three years younger. Minnesota gets a point guard. I think that's kind of an interesting foundation. I would not move that Dinwiddie deal for Covington. Really? No. Interesting. I think that uh, Spencer's averaging 21 points a game on – like a league average true shooting percentage. And I think he had a 60 true shooting percentage last year, uh, 6.3 assists per game right now for Dinwiddie. Like Spencer's been like, if you told me Spencer Dinwiddie makes the all-star game in the East right now, that is not a wild statement that I would like completely call you out on. Yeah, I, I just don't know what he looks like as much next to Irving and Durant next year. I agree, like this year, especially with Irving being you know, hasn't played a bunch of games. Like I agree that Dinwiddie in that setting is is valuable, but next to two other primary creators, like who fills the gaps better? I'm just thinking of more like building a contender, building a title team. I, I agree that Dinwiddie has a role in that, but I think Covington could actually have a more valuable role in that team. But it's kind of similar to the Lou Williams thing, right? Like. Lou Williams is still super valuable in the playoffs because you need shot creators in the playoffs. I kind of think Dinwiddie is like one of those dudes that I would want to have around in the playoffs because that guy is that guy's just like tough as shit. I feel like he does not care about the moment. He's going to live up to it, I think. Like that's he's kind of he's the kind of guy that I feel like gets a little bit 
undervalued come playoff time just because like we think about volume score, we think about all of these like kind of pejorative terms that are thrown around, but like I, I still want someone that can be like an awesome creator, uh, potentially off the bench, potentially, you know, a multitude of ways. Like I actually think that I would want Dinwiddie, especially on that deal. And, and like, I think Brooklyn has enough pieces to make a Covington move happen anyway. Like even without that. I don't know. Like, you can maybe make that argument. I think Dinwiddie, he has the player option in 2021. He's going to probably opt out, I mean, with how he's playing right now. So you're really looking at one additional season at 11-4 next year where Covington's locked in for an extra year. I think that matters a, a good amount. I agree with you. I think I really like Dinwiddie. I, I don't know exactly how he's viewed in the league. That's kind of what was hard with me in this trade. I just think that those two players are very good. And I like if you switch the roles on their team. Like, again, when you have I Kyrie, when you, when you have Durant, like those guys are going to have the ball. Like Denway is not a great shooter. He never has been. He's not. He's best optimized like pick and roll when he can get to the rim. He's not that guy where he's dynamic off the catch. I, I just think for filling in the gaps and kind of what both players can do for their different teams in the situation, I just think it's kind of interesting. Well, I guess here would be the real reason why I would be really concerned about Covington is we've seen Covington in the playoffs before, and it was a disaster. Like. Philly, they didn't have to stop playing him, but, like, they did have to bench him because his shooting was just too inconsistent and teams stopped guarding him. Like, if you were telling me that it was Robert Covington who wasn't quite as streaky of a shooter, like, if he was a consistent, I think he's been, like, a 30, you know, maybe, like, a 38, 39% guy over the course of the last, you know, three years. If you told me that was, like, a consistent, he's going to make, 38% of his threes almost every game because there are guys like that that are more consistent versus guys who are more variant. Covington is a lot more variant, and that's what would worry me if I was acquiring him uh, for, like, a significant asset. Like, I think Dinwiddie is. Like, I actually think Dinwiddie on that deal is a real asset. Yeah, it comes down to how you measure and how you value Dinwiddie. I agree. I think Covington, he got exposed a little bit by Boston. Some of the switching stuff, he couldn't guard Tatum and Brown on an island that yeah. well. I think the shooting, he's not like a high-level shooter. It's not like he's like a 40% guy, but I do think he's reliable and he gets respect. That's always kind of fickle, but I think Dinwiddie faces the same problems. Like, he's not going to be guarded behind yeah. the line as a catch-and-shoot guy. He's more of another ball handler, which Brooklyn already has with Karis LeVert, if, if he's healthy, right? Like, that's the thing. That's is, true. Like, they have... They have guys who can pick up. I just think overall, like I, I, I agree with the arguments you've made. I just think that at least you can get a foundation built because, again, I don't think Minnesota is just going to deal Covington for no return. Like they're going to get something good, especially in this market. I feel like where he's going to be one of the potential bigger gets, and that's the only way they're really going to move off of him. And I think Dinwiddie is that caliber of player. I just think again, Dinwiddie only eleven. 11.4 million next year. He's going to opt out, so you don't have him locked into 2021. He's probably going to get that last big contract because I think he's 26 right now, so that make him like 28, 29. He's going to try to get that last big contract. Yeah, I, I don't think he's ideal fit next to other stars, but I do like him a lot, especially in the regular season. Like this year, he's been awesome. Maybe this deal is better constructed even after the season. Um, this this year when that when might make Bro- more sense yeah. to me. Yeah, so when Brooklyn doesn't need that creation if Kyrie's healthy or whatnot with Durant back, maybe they entertain it um, around draft time or in free agency. I think I'm just a little bit more worried about Dinwiddie than or not Dinwiddie about Covington than Covington. you are. Yeah, yeah, that's probably it. Um, what do you think the Lakers do? The Lakers have been the best team in the NBA this year for me. I think like I I understand the numbers probably say Milwaukee, but just the way the Lakers have played is been incredible to me and 
They have one real move piece in Kyle Kuzma that I don't love that fit. I thought that the Kuzma fit would work, but unfortunately it, is, it just is not. Uh, it, it is not quite as good as what I thought it would be. And the problems with it are that he kind of, like AD just kind of blocks where Kuzma's fit is because where AD has been so good is kind of playing off ball. Like he does play the two man game with LeBron, like sometimes, but a lot of the time it's taking advantage of scramble situations like on the weak side. Right. And he's just like cutting and driving and being able to take advantage of defenders that aren't quite set. And that's what Kuzma is also good at. So basically you're going to have like one of Kuzma or Davis in that role on the weak side where Kuzma is trying to cut and trying to find that little crease for LeBron. That's what he was really good at last year with LeBron. And now those spaces don't really exist on the court. And I think that's why Kuzma is struggling. Like he's also just not shooting well too, which is a significant yeah. issue and like a long-term issue for him as well uh, in terms of like, he needs to fix the jump shot to be most effective. But I think that Kuzma is a guy that has very real value around the league and could be a genuine move piece for them that could get them something substantial in their race for a title. I agree with all that, and I think, honestly, I'm looking at, at the Lakers. I agree with you. I think they've been – right with Milwaukee is the best team in the league. Them and the Clippers, like all the three of those teams, you can put them in any order. I don't really care. They're, they're the elite teams in the league. Um, I, I'm looking at how do I beat the Clippers. If I'm the Lakers, that's what my mindset is. What is the personnel? I don't trust Kuzma in that series. I don't trust him guarding Kawhi. I don't trust him guarding Paul George. And that's the kind of – they need to help LeBron because I don't think LeBron's going to be able to do that and have the offensive burden that he has initiating the offense. So I'd want either like another you know wing defender or, or maybe like a guard who can initiate the offense at times who also plays defense. Like I think Derek White would be awesome on this team. Like if Kuzma for like Derek White, some kind of foundation with that, I think that's probably too low for the Lakers. They're going to they think higher of Kuzma than I do personally. But I would be looking at someone like that. <laughs> the the, the funny that? thing is that when you said Derek White, I was like, there is no way I would do that if I am San Antonio. I wouldn't either. But I'm saying, like, from the Lakers standpoint, they're probably shooting higher than that. You know what I mean? With how yeah. Kuzma is perceived and stuff like that. I don't even know. Like, would the Spurs do that, you think? Would you think they would entertain that as far as with Kuzma just getting a younger scoring piece? I have no idea to be honest, just because the way that they've handled that whole backcourt situation has seemed so funky to me this year that I can't really put my finger on it. They have so much invested in their backcourt, like with the DeJounte extension, they have Patty Mills still with $13.2 million next year. You know, DeRozan plays the shooting guard a lot of the time. They have Lonnie Walker, who gets fringe minutes. He's playing more recently in the rotation. I think that I would make that call if I was the Lakers. I, I, would, I would try to see if I could get Derek White. I agree. Um... Let's assume that the Spurs aren't dumb, <laughs> maybe. Um, a guy that is interesting to me would be Terrence Ferguson. Terrence has been really, really good defensively this year. And, like, that's the kind of, you know, Rich Paul client that makes sense to me. Oh, I see where you're going with this. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, he's a perfect fit for them. And I wonder if the Thunder would look at it like, okay, we're probably moving Gallinari at the deadline uh, to get something. And even if we don't, we're going to have this spot open next year. Maybe we take an upside swing on Kuzma. That's interesting. I don't think Ferguson is big enough to really guard George. Again, I'm looking at this strictly as like what can help them win a title this year. And he doesn't give you any kind of playmaking. He's really just like a way worse iteration. Yeah. He's not close to Danny Green, but you know what I'm you know what I'm getting at. Like yeah. it, it's 
I'd want ball handling or I'd want like a bigger wing. I'm not sure if that if, if Ferguson really satisfies either one of those things. And I don't think he's a, a reliable enough shooter. Like I think guys are going to leave him open on the Lakers. You really got to have higher level knockdown guys. Not really even knockdown guys, but guys you feel reasonably confident making open catch and shoots. Yeah, I think that's like 100% reasonable and right, but you know, it's just just connecting some dots. <laughs> just just thinking out thinking out loud. Um I want- I want the Lakers to get Iguodala, but there's also no reasonable avenue to doing that because I had Iguodala as a guy to talk about as well. Uh, we can get to that eventually, but the the, the Memphis is not going to buy him out. Like the Lakers are not going to get a shot at him. Yeah, the money doesn't really work unless you did. Yeah, I don't really think the money works, does it? It's tough because you'd have to. I mean, Contavious, of course, has a, a no trade clause, like a de facto one. The problem is you lose the value of Iguodala bringing him on because you sacrifice too much depth in the, in the rest of the regular right. season. Like you'd have to aggregate Caldwell Pope or like Avery Bradley, and then I don't know, and like a trade a pick or they don't really have any picks to trade. So it's really like do Memphis like Taylor Horton Tucker or something. But by the time you get over this, like you're trading a like quantity, and I don't know if you want to trade quantity if you're the Lakers. So I, I think I know where the perfect place for Kuzma is. And this team just has enough move pieces to where you can make reasonable offers. Uh, to me, it's the Knicks. Okay. Pitch me. Like, I really like Damian Dotson. Like, if I could do Damian Dotson and if you told me Reggie Bullock was healthy, like, that, that is a deal that would get absolutely panned. Maybe the Knicks, like, throw in a pick. But, like, Damian Dotson and Wayne Ellington, or Damian Dotson and, like, the shooter. People would hate that move, and I think it would make both teams better. Let me raise you a little bit here. If we're dealing with the Knicks, what would you say to Marcus Morris if you could aggregate Kuzma with another, like, Contavious Caldwell Pope? And that would be, I mean, I don't think do this, but, like, that would be, like, because I think Marcus Morris can actually, like, at least has the strength to guard Kawhi. That's kind of interesting to me. I thought about that, but there was the whole thing with Marcus Morris reneging on San Antonio and then him leaving Rich Ball this summer that oh. concerned me. Yeah, see, that that's the important stuff that you got to bring up that I, that I won't consider. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's a good call. Because, <laughs> yeah, Marcus Morris makes perfect sense. The problem also is Marcus Morris makes $15 million, and I don't yeah. think you've run into the same issue. Like, I, I don't really see how that works. Like, may, maybe he's a buyout guy. Like, that's he, he, actually – He'll get traded. Like yeah, I would Marcus think so. will, he'll get value. Like it, with how he's shooting the ball this year, and like the fact that he's—I mean, there's already been talk about the Clippers being interested in him for LeBron. Like I think he'll find a take. The Knicks will find a taker for him. There's no way that the Lakers do Frank Nilakina and Damian Dotson for Kyle Kuzma, right? I don't think so. I, I think the Lakers think really highly of Kuzma. I, I don't know if they do. You know, Derek White. I don't know what they do. Like frankly, I, I'm not sure if there's a player out there that's not a star and there's no real stars available that they would do this for. But that's like a great deal for both teams or maybe not both teams, but I think that's a good deal for the Lakers. <laughs> Kuzma, another power forward. Let's go. Sign me up on the Knicks. Andy score first. Like as you and I have discussed before, volume scoring. <laughs> the Knicks value volume scoring above all else. And that is intriguing to put him in New York. Like I would bet you the Knicks would offer it would offer quite a bit for him. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense with their M.O. Um, can we go to Iguodala? Yeah, let's talk about – I'm, like, trying to still find places for Kuzma, but you please give your pitch on Iguodala while I do that because I think that uh, Iguodala is probably 
more important in terms of being a move piece that could actually make a difference for someone. But, yeah, give, give me your pitch so, while I continue to find Kuzma places. My pitch is mainly that he's not going to get bought out. I think there's an easy team that makes this work and gives Memphis at least an asset. Memphis is not going to buy them. Iguodala out when they can trade him for an asset. They're just not going to. If you've watched any of their moves that they made with the new front office, they can get some kind of value for him. And the easy pitch is Dallas for Courtney Lee, the Warriors 2020 second rounder, which is going to be pretty damn good. That's a, a short-term, high-profile second-round pick. They could even add their own um, 2021 second, I believe. And that's, that's easy. I mean, Dallas does that tomorrow. It's basically just giving them another wing defender, which they really need. Someone who can pass, make decisions, has playoff experience. Dallas is a shoe-in for the playoffs now, and it's costing them a high-level second-round pick. I think that's actually probably pretty good value for Iguodala at this point. Like I value Iguodala more than the league probably does, and there is some uncertainty about where he's at health-wise, being out of the league and not, not playing this year. I think that's a really good deal, and that's why I don't think he's going to get bought out. Yeah, I agree with you. If I was Dallas, I would do that tomorrow. And if I was Memphis, I would think you're probably not going to do much better than that. Like, I, I don't I don't think a team gives up a first for Iguodala. I don't think so either. And if I, I was Memphis, I would wait. Like, I would wait until the deadline. I would see if there's a better yeah. offer. But this is kind of like their fallback to me. Like, if Memphis wanted to do this, I think the deal would be done already. You would think so, because Dallas is smart. They would realize this is out there. And Dallas with an actual wing defender, like Dorian Finney-Smith is that guy for them right now. Definitely an erratic shooter. Iguodala is also an erratic shooter, but Iguodala is also a much better secondary passer. Um, I, I would love that for Dallas. I think that their defense, I mean, they have the number one offense in the league. Everybody knows that. You know, adding another defensive wing, when they are, like, I don't know, they're not a, a tier one playoff team, but when they're like a tier two playoff team, adding Iguodala to that mix, I think it's just a no-brainer move for them. What do you think that Toronto does? Oof. I don't know. Like, I started entertaining that a little bit last night, like mapping out some ideas. But it's another one of those things where they do have the Lowry extension that sheds some light. They, they really are targeting 2021 free agency. Like, Gasol has lost a step, but they're going to need him in the playoffs if they play the Philadelphia, for example. Like, do they trade? Do they sell super high on Van Fleet if they think they can't resign him? But he's so integral to what they do. Um, I, it's tough. If you're trying to compete in the playoffs, you can't trade Van Vliet. 100% no. Like, if you're trading Van Vliet, you're probably also moving Mark in search, right? I mean, if you are trading Van Vliet, then you're not trying to compete this year. I think that's what you just said. I, I very much agree with that. That's why I don't think right. they necessarily going to do that. But that's also why you're juggling with Masai. Is he A, going to be there? B, how much is he prioritizing long-term flexibility if he doesn't think he can resign Van Fleet? If Van Fleet's going to get a max, like it's been reported, which is not completely unfathomable considering how good he is, to winning especially, uh, I think Masai might entertain it, but I would be very surprised if he's actually traded. There's no way I would give Freddie Ballgame a max. I love, <laughs> love Fred Van Fleet, and I would be so pumped. If he got a max. That'd be so dumb, dude. <laughs> I cannot give that dude a max. I'm sorry. I mean, I for, I mean, I wouldn't like to, but like, who, who do you think is a better player, Van Fleet or Tobias Harris? Uh, Van I think Van Fleet's the better player. Yeah, 
think that's right. But it's just what the market is. It's not like what you would do. It's just mapping out like what you think you'll actually get. I mean, I don't know what team's necessarily going to do that. I haven't been through that exercise yet. But it wouldn't like it wouldn't stun me if Van Fleet was like very close to a max at least. Yeah, I mean, he's going to get twenty for sure. Oh, he's definitely getting twenty. Yeah, like he's in what his max would be because he's still he'd still only be within five or six years, so it would be twenty five percent. So his yes. max is only like twenty seven, something like that, right? He might get that, dude. Like twenty seven is not that high of a number. Well, it's more who has the money to give it to him this summer than anything. Sure. Like I'm not sure that I see that deal just on the market, just because like I I don't know like of the teams that have cap space, I don't really see it. You know. Yeah, I haven't mapped it out yet. I haven't gone through all the teams. I I agree. I mean, of course, it's what the market is, right? But, like, as far as can I see it happening if the right team has the cap space, I, it would not stun me. Like, the Knicks can't max Van Vliet. Atlanta oh. has Trey Young. <laughs> Who else has cap space? Cleveland can get cap space. I don't think they're going to do it when they just took two point guards. He might be held back by the market this year. Could be. Which would be a bummer. Um, if they decided to go the other way and move one of Mark or Serge, is there a buyer out there that you see as interesting? Hmm. I don't know if either of those guys really move the needle for anybody. Like if Mark makes too high of a salary, like if you need a guy who can guard Embiid, I think that's Mark's value. But I don't know if that if there's any teams that need him that can afford to pay him. Like Boston, of course, but that's they can't do it. I just don't know if there's a fit. Well, and Toronto, I think Toronto thinks of itself as a team that could push Philly. So, like, I don't yes. think they're going to just do that, right? Well, that's, that um, goes back to the initial question of, like, are they trying to compete this year or are they looking more at long-term flexibility and maximizing assets for some of their expirings? We don't think there's any way the Spurs would take on Mark, do we? What does it really do for them? I don't know. We don't know what the Spurs are doing. They're like Toronto. We don't. They're They're West Toronto. We don't know what they're doing. Okay, I will give you another potential option here that's kind of really interesting. If Toronto decides to like prioritize flexibility long-term and they want to get something for Gasol, what about Miami? They have the, the Goron expiring. Like That team could use – like Bam's not going to guard Embiid. He's not that big. But you could also utilize Mark's spacing on offense. So you still have Bam and like that kind of – you know dribble handoff operating space like attack you at least have a stretch five like basically mark would take olenix minutes or myers leonard starting for them right now you'd sub in mark for that yeah that'd make sense i i don't see them trading to another east team that's like a contender though yeah i mean again it's impossible to know with messiah like a the guy he he usually gets great value in trades but it's hard to see them coming like, what would you – like, because I think that Toronto is going to keep its cap space open for 2021, like, just yep. straight up. Like, I, I don't – they're going to make sure they have a max cap space in 2021. Um, that's just going to be the way it is. And, I, I mean, what? Like, you can make a case that – I don't think you move either of Kendrick Nunn or Duncan Robinson for Mark Gasol. No. Like, they're they're just too cheap and too valuable. Like, what? It would be like Casey Apala and – like Goron? Something like that. It would be maybe a, a, a second-round pick in the future. I, it would not be a high-value return. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I don't, I don't see anything with Toronto. Cleveland's a weird one, too. Like, we talked about Kevin Love. Tristan Thompson, like, strikes me as a guy that's probably going to end up getting bought out, even though he's having a really good year. Like, does that sound right to you? 
I don't know. It, it depends on what the relationship is with the front office and if they acquiesce to him wanting to play for a contender. Like, I think he's too good personally to be a buyout guy. This is the problem you're running into with a lot of these players, though. These bigs, they just make too much money. Like, Tristan Thompson, 18-5. Like, the, we talked about the Toronto guys. Serge Ibaka is at 23. Gasol's higher than that. They're just too the salary filling is too much for a lot of these teams to actually make a deal for. And I think all three of them are probably too good to actually be buyout guys. Yeah. It's just like, once you try and find the spot, like the Lakers are set at center, you could maybe make a case that it's the Clippers, but the Clippers don't really have it within their salary structure to match deals. Um, You could make a case for Denver, maybe. Maybe. I mean, they have, they have bigs. They have Jokic and they have Plumlee on expiring. Do they just swap? Like an asset plus Tristan Thompson, or, or you know, an asset with Plumlee to get Tristan Thompson. I don't know if that moves the needle. Yeah, I don't really think it does for them. Like it'd be like a different player than Jokic, and like maybe you could make a case that it's you know a guy that just changes things up and gives them a different look. But yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't really see that. Portland is going to get Bigs back, like they're going to get Collins and Nurkic back, so that doesn't really make sense. Dallas, I mean, is there a marked difference between Tristan Thompson and, like, Dwight Powell? It's like they're different players entirely, but, like, in terms of value, do you see that? Not really, and I don't think, you know, Cleveland's not taking back Powell. They already have Nance. That just doesn't make a lot of sense for me to have, like, two third bigs paid, like, fully as third bigs. Um, I know Powell starts for the Mavericks, but that's a very specific circumstance next to Porzingis. That doesn't move the needle for me if I'm Dallas. Um If I could get off of Powell, but they obviously extended him for a reason. (laughs) Right, yeah. Like, I I think that they just like Dwight a pretty good amount. Um, Yeah. And then, like, there there isn't a spot that makes a lot of sense. Like, you're not going to have – you're not going to acquire Tristan to try and guard Embiid if you're Miami. Um, The Bucs have both Lopez brothers. I don't really think that – you know, Tristan's better than Robin, but, like, I don't think that that's a move piece for them. The Pacers have Sabonis and Turner. Boston's the team, but Boston just doesn't have the salary structure. So I, I think that it's buyout with Boston is where he ends up. Yeah, if he does get bought out. I think there's one team to watch with the centers. I, I don't know for a fact. It doesn't make a ton of sense long term, but short term, just if the, the noise gets big enough in the locker room and the pressure mounts is Atlanta, just because they have the expirings. They have Chandler Parsons for 25 expiring, Evan Turner 18-6, who like, can't play for them, and then Alan Crabb at 18-5. Like it's not going to be a high value return, but just getting a better center because their center rotation is, is probably the worst in the league with Damian Jones, Alex Len, Bruno Fernando who's not ready. Maybe they just get more of a competent guy in their short term, but that's of course not moving the needle at all. I think they just wait until next summer to try and do that. I think so too. Like I think they're going to be players for someone like Andre Drummond, for example. Right. I think that makes some sense for them. But again, like with how much pressure is in their locker room with that report from Chris Hayes today about. Chris Haynes today about, you know, like pressure in the locker room, like they're, they're not performing. And again, their center rotation is literally shit right now. Like they're like, you can't start Damian yeah. Jones in the NBA. You, you just can't. So maybe they are yeah. like, okay, if, if this guy's going to be for like, maybe like a, a bad second round pick, maybe they entertain it just because of the pressure. Yeah, I could see that. I could, I could see that now that you say that. And if you go out and get someone, I bet it would be an expiring if they decided to do that. Like, Yes. It would be someone like Tristan Thompson. Or they could, like, this is the other Steven Adams destination, potentially. Like, if they really wanted to go there, and, like, they'd have to give up an asset, of course. But that, they have the contracts to get that done right away, and they could attach a pick to that pretty easily. Like, a, maybe even, like, a top, 
you know, five top six protected pick or something. I don't know what would make it work, but you could see yourself talking. I mean, they could talk themselves into getting Steven Adams at the five if they don't think they have a great shot at Drummond or whatnot, and they just want to upgrade this roster immediately. I would bet you that they wait in terms of making like a long-term commitment to a center until the draft and they see where like someone like James Wiseman ends up. That's fair. I, I'm uh, not saying I would do this either. I'm just saying like maybe it's an option. Right. Like I actually think that the Stephen Adams Oklahoma City idea is like a pretty good one. But the problem is, I mean, that probably costs you Cam Reddish. Because like you're not moving Herder, you're not moving Collins. Bembry's no. probably not enough. I don't think Fernando and Bembry is enough. No. That like you're not moving your number four pick, DeAndre Hunter. Why wouldn't you just like it almost has to be reddish. I'm I'm not moving future picks if I'm Atlanta until I figure out what this is. So it right. basically has like th- there's really only one option there and I probably wouldn't give up on Cam Reddish like that. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I would wait it out and see. I mean, I don't feel great about drafting Wiseman at like two, for example, if they get there. That's another conversation entirely. But I think it's worth waiting out the center market like this summer. Maybe Harrell would be awesome for them offensively. Defensively, it wouldn't solve anything. Adams would help them some defensively. Drummond, the same. None of them are really moving the needle, I think, long term. They probably vault them into playoff contention via offense, of course. But I think I I side with you. I would rather keep Reddish and and see what the market is like in, in free agency just because there's going to be some fives available and there's not a total there's not a ton of buyers for fives right now I think that's right is there any other team that like really stands out to you like I feel like we have hit we hit Philly we hit Boston we hit Toronto I don't again like I don't really see Milwaukee we talked a good amount about Miami at the start and kind of throughout the middle Denver we talked about quite a bit the Lakers and the Clippers we talked about a little bit Dallas we've talked about a little bit um I guess there are two teams that Portland, we've talked about a little bit. Minnesota, we've talked about a little bit. The two teams we haven't hit on are Houston and Utah. Um, Utah, I think, does have the pieces to make a pretty interesting move if they so chose. Um, Like, Dante Exum is a guy that I would venture teams around the league are still interested in. Yeah, in theory, I I don't know. that Dante, he's kind of like a... He, he's more known than Zaire Smith, but there's just so many moving parts. Like with him, I don't know if he's viewed still as like a reasonably upside prospect at his age or whatnot. But like, what are you looking at for return for him? Like, what what are you like? What is reasonable for Dante Axum in a trade? Well, the the big problem that Utah has right now is that I don't know what they go out and get right because Mike Conley needs to basically get like healthy and. Like, they they need to figure out, can this thing mesh enough offensively to where we can, like, make a push? Because right now they're 22nd in offensive efficiency, which was exactly the opposite of what we all expected coming into the season. Like, we figured there'd be a slight drop-off on defense. They're 11th in defense. I think that'll just get better, realistically. Like, I think a team led by Gobert and with a solid defensive backcourt of Conley and Mitchell, even though Conley hasn't been great on that end this year. You still have Royce O'Neal. Ingles is still fine defensively in a team construct. Like, I still think they have enough pieces to where that defensive rating will rise. They need to figure out what they are offensively, I think, to a pretty real extent because, you know, Boyan and Donovan Mitchell have really been the two guys so far. And... Like, do you need to go out and upgrade Mike Conley? Because that's a very real thing that might have to happen. Well, that's the thing. Is like they already played their hand with Mike Conley. They the first round pick, the two 
and now it's like, what do you really do? Like, yeah, they maybe you can go back and say they should have pursued Drew Holiday. Can they still get Drew Holiday? I mean, that's kind of interesting to me, but that's the kind of thing you're looking at is you're looking at it more of a move piece. Mike Conley needs to be Mike Conley. Joe Ingles has taken a step back this year. I don't know. Yeah. Like they, They've invested a lot in this core, and I don't know if they really have the flexibility still to go out and get pieces. They just You're right. I think XM's $9.6 million, if he's perceived as having any kind of value, you can at least aggregate that. And maybe he's looked at as like a, a low-cost dice roll, but I don't think the return's going to be great. Like I don't think you're getting any kind of an impact player with that. Yeah, I'm trying to find the guy. Does, is Phoenix willing to take him as a flyer for Dario Saric? Maybe. I mean, I would rather play Royce O'Neal at the four than Dario Saric, though, especially in the playoffs. Like, I think Royce O'Neal is better than Dario Saric, just straight up, and especially for what the U- Utah wants to do. Like, they're switching, and, they, and with how Royce has shot the ball, like, I would rather have him. I probably would, but you can use both of them, I would think. Like, you, you sure. still need to eat minutes up in the playoffs. Um, yeah, I just, don't, I just don't know what Dario really – like, he gives him another spacing threat at the four, a little bit of a bigger body. Like, I get the idea. I just don't think that really – what does that really do? You know what I mean? Yeah. No, you, it's not that you're wrong. Like, I think you're right. Uh, does Jay Crowder help them? <laughs> to, to, oh, do God. they try Jay and get Crowder. Jay Crowder back? <laughs> Jay Crowder has been one hell of a watch this year, dude. Him and Dylan Brooks are just shooting everything. Good adventure. It's an adventure. It's like they're chucking at an unbelievable rate. And that's like what, what Memphis offense requires of them. But still, like the above the break chuckery from those two. I've watched a lot of Memphis this year, obviously. And yeah. Jesus. I don't think Memphis wants Dante Exum either because they have Tyus as well. So, like, I, I don't really know that that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, there's no way Cleveland takes a flyer on him, right? Just because they have the two guards. The Knicks could take a flyer on him. He, I think he'll probably be perceived as too similar to Neil Aquina, even though there are differences. I, I don't know. The Knicks but, like, just take lottery tickets if you're the Knicks, right? Uh, if if you're the Knicks, like, I'm taking power for it. <laughs> like, I don't, like, what do we think they're actually realistically trying to do? Like, I, I don't know what the hell the Knicks should do. The Knicks should be trying to get assets. I think that's right. step one. And, like, draft picks, they should try to trade Marcus Morris so they can get a good first-round pick for him. I don't know what the hell the Knicks are going to do, though. So if you're Utah, could you do something like Dante Exum – and Dante Exum and Tony Bradley gets you to like twelve million. That's yeah, basically the number you need for Marcus Morris. If the Knicks want to take on Exum and like that extra nine point six million, but, if they view him as an asset, I'd make the call. But like, you're not going to get a first round pick for Marcus Morris, right? I think you might. I don't really. I think so. With the way he shot the ball, like he just he gets better. Like he's one of those bigger bodied combo forwards that can actually play in the playoffs. He's really I don't good. Know if I'm not denying that he's really good. Like I think he is, but for a, for six months, I, a lot of teams you don't see. You see a lot of the framework is usually if you trade a first round pick for someone like Marcus Morris, you're usually giving out a bad contract as well. So that's what we've seen in the past. That kind of swap yeah, where you trade a guy with your remaining. If we can find a, a deal like that. I think that deal gets done for a first rounder. But maybe for an expiring, I still think he might net a late first, especially in this class. But also maybe like a high second or like multiple good seconds. Yeah, that actually does make sense. I just wonder if I wonder if there's something where the Knicks probably not going to be able to get a first rounder for any of these guys other than maybe Marcus Morris. I wonder if there's something there where they can like maybe help the Jazz out and they could see Exum is like slightly better than a first round pick uh, just due to the upside. Yeah, no, that's I mean, like this is kind of eye of the holder with Exum. Does does Damian Dotson help Utah? 
I mean, he can shoot and score in the half court. I don't know, again, if he really moves the needle. What helps Utah is Conley being Conley. If Conley's not going to be Conley, right. then Drew Holiday helps Utah, right? That's, right? that's what we're looking at. Yeah, if Conley's not Mike Conley, like, you're kind of a DOA, I guess. I mean, you're pre- I think, honestly, if I'm just being honest, like, they're pretty fucked against the two L.A. <laughs> teams regardless of the playoffs. But, like, you're going to need Mike Conley if you're going to have even a chance at that. Yeah. I think you're probably right. And then let's go to Houston. Uh, Houston just has a salary structure that is incredibly difficult to make moves with right now. Well, and Gordon can't be traded this season before the deadline. Correct. So that hurts. And, and he's been out. And I actually, I mean, Gordon has not been good thus far this season. So I'm, I'm looking forward to see what he looks like when he comes back. But it's just really hard to aggregate. Like, I know they've, they've talked about. It's not only hard to aggregate, but they also expended so many assets with the Westbrook trade. Like, do they have the pieces to get a Covington? Because I know that he's been linked to them. Yeah, I don't really think the answer to that is yes, to be honest. Um, I mean, like, the Nene deal obviously exists and is a thing. How do you feel about the Nene deal? Did we ever talk about that? We might have mentioned it briefly about the structure and what they tried to do. I thought it was actually a brilliant manipulation of the cap, but the circumvention, I mean, that was going to get called out. I think we both tweeted about that. I love Daryl. Daryl is yeah, it's so fantastic. Um, but the Nene deal actually does, like, create an interesting salary structure for them, like, to where they might be able to do something. Yep. No, the $10 million, um, he can be traded on the 15th of January because there's – other factors that go into those contracts. So he's actually not available to be traded on the 15th yeah. of December. But by the deadline, he'll be available. Um, I think the bigger issue with the Rockets is just general assets. And, like, what do they really have? Like, 2021 first-round yeah. picks out, like a pick swap. You know what I mean? Like, they just have to come up with something that's valuable to other teams. And, like, Hartenstein isn't really moving the needle for anybody, in my opinion. Gary Clark, the same. So that's that's where the Rockets come down is if they start trading, like, Daniel House, they need him. <laughs> They actually need Daniel House is the funny thing. They do. No, they really like, do. I'm not even joking. They need him. They need P.J. Tucker, like, of course. And like, I, They need Eric Gordon, frankly, unless he's going to return somebody, and he can. Of course, he can't be traded. The hysterical thing is they kind of need Ben McLemore right now. They do, and he's actually shooting the ball pretty damn well. Yes, I mean, have you really watched is. a lot of Houston this year? Yeah, like, Ben McLemore has not been bad this year. It's kind of funny because, like, every night's, like, a new way to defend James Harden. Like, you see some outright just – I saw – I think I mentioned this on the podcast before. I think it was against Toronto where I literally saw two guys just deny Harden the ball off the ball. Like, they just ran with him off, like, a screening action. I like, love he, it. he gets doubled – like, staggered doubles. It's just – Rockets are a hoot this year because a lot of times it just comes down to Westbrook and, like, an advantage situation, and who the fuck knows what's going to happen there. Oh, I love it. It's fantastic. It's so much fun to watch, <laughs> like, just them trying – deal with things basically um i'm trying to I, I can't really see a world where houston is like hyper involved they're a buyout team more than they are yes. a uh like a real team that can do things at the deadline uh it'd just be like a small move on the margins i bet they do like i bet daryl tries to come up with something like a small move on the margins that he thinks can make sense but it's just hard for me to find that world now um I think they're probably it. the best CBA team. Yeah, I was gonna say really quick with Houston. They're probably the best CBA team in the league. Like they're they're really good at that stuff. Like they find little intricate ways of acquiring players. So I would be surprised if they didn't do something. But as far as grand scale, like getting a Covington type, that would that would surprise me. Yeah, like it would require them to move PJ Tucker, which they can't really do. I mean, honestly, you can't trade PJ Tucker for this team's composition in the playoffs. 
I agree. Like, I wholeheartedly agree. If I was them, I would be strongly keeping P.J. Tucker, uh, especially because his deal declines next year and is incredibly valuable. Yeah. Uh, that's all I've got. I, I think we went through, like, most of the teams in the league. Like, we didn't talk about Charlotte, but, like, hilariously, Charlotte is kind of competing for the playoffs right now. And they're also pretty badass to watch, frankly. Like, their game against the Kings the other night was super fun. Like, Graham, we've talked about, PJ's injured right now, but Malik Monk had a really good game. Cody Martin had a good game off the bench. I really like that team, and I really like Borrego. Yeah, I really like Borrego, but I can no longer make jokes about, like, how they develop players or how they, like, evaluate players anymore. <laughs> because they're actually okay. Like, Somewhat okay at it. Yeah, they've actually done, like, a pretty good job. Like, Devontae Graham being as good as he is is a huge yep. win for them. Yeah, I mean, of course, like Monk over Mitchell, I can't talk because I had Monk rated over Mitchell in that class, which was a huge mistake, pretty clearly, but, like, that hurt. They made some good decisions. Like, I thought PJ was a good pick, and I think Cody's a good pick in the 30s. Devontae was a home run based on what we see in year two, so they're, yeah. they're, they're okay. They have some pieces. I did not see this coming from Devontae. I really did not. Did you have him Did you have him highly rated? I did not. I did not see this coming at all. I was really worried about everything inside the arc. Um, I did not expect him to be this caliber of shooter. Yeah, and, like, it's it's interesting, too, just because I wonder if it would be the same if he was playing for a coach who didn't just actualize him behind the, bas- or behind the three-point line. Because the fact that they're just like, go pull up from three whenever you see fit – I think is a huge reason why he's been valuable. I totally agree. I think some of that is that's how they have to play with their personnel. I also think it's about Brego optimizing his players. Like when I've watched Charlotte this year, every time I watch them, I think they're getting the most out of their roster. And that's something that he deserves a ton of respect for, in my opinion. Like I'm not the most like elite X's and O's guys guy, but like what they run and like how they utilize their younger prospects and like putting them in position to succeed. I I think that Brego deserves a ton of credit for that. All right. That's all I got for you, man. That's where I'm at. Like, this is this is Dunzo. I'm good. We've been talking for an hour and a half. Uh, we don't. We got a couple of ratings. We didn't get any reviews this week. Leave us reviews, and we'll read them on the podcast if they're five stars and they're good. Shit, we even read a four-star review last time because I like talking shit about myself, so it's fun. Um, trying to think movie-wise. Have you seen anything movie-wise? I have not, honestly. I haven't watched. I haven't had the time really to watch too much recently. I've caught up on the Mandalorian for TV shows, but movies. I mean, of course, I'm going to see the new Star Wars, but I'm not like you. Where I'm assuming you're going later this week, right? Oh, seeing it tomorrow. <laughs> like, of, of course, you are. This podcast is not coming out until uh, Friday, so people won't be able to spoil it for me. But like going Thursday night to see Star Wars. Of course, I am. <laughs> um, what have I seen? I saw Ad Astra. I thought Ad Astra was really good, and I think it's going to age really well. Is that the Brad Pitt movie? Yes. Oh, time out. I saw Uncut Gems. Okay. The Kevin Garnett, Adam Sandler movie. Oh, Jesus. How is that? It's good. It's really? It's re- I, would say, I would even go as far as to say it's really good. Um, it's not going to be like a top ten movie for me this year, but it's like a really good movie worth going to see. Um. Kevin Garnett is a genuinely good actor. Is he better than Sandler? <laughs> no, Adam Sandler might get nominated for an Oscar for this. He's actually Holy really shit, good. Holy shit, dude. 
like that's the actual, most surprising thing I've heard all year, frankly. Yeah, this is like a very actual thing. There is an Oscar campaign going on for Adam Sandler attached to this movie because he's very good. I don't know if I would nominate him for an Oscar. I feel like I've seen five better performances this year personally, but I really liked him in the movie and thought he like if he gets nominated for an Oscar, I'll be like reasonable, totally earned. Um, very he's very very good. And uh, Julia Fox is someone who I had no idea who she was. She's really good in this movie, too. Like, it, the okay. whole movie, do you know what the movie's, like, uh, based around? I do not. So, it's a movie that is literally based around uh, Adam Sandler, like, being a an addicted gambler who has Kevin Garnett come into his store, like, during the 2012 NBA playoffs. Oh, wow. Yes. It's, like, a very basketball-centric story. And I saw, like, an early screening of it because it comes out wide uh, next week on Christmas, I think, um, because the, it, they release it early in New York and L.A. because, you know, of course they do sometimes. But yep. uh, I don't want to go further than that, but it's really good, and you will not be more stressed in a movie theater this year if, like, anyone that goes see it. Like, you are on the edge of your seat, just sitting there, just like, I don't even know if like shaking is the right word, but you are just like so tensed up the whole time because it is like a masterful job of like building mood and like building a movie out. Interesting. Yeah. You've almost sold me on this, man. And I'm not, are you historically a Sandler guy or no? Yes, absolutely. Okay. hundred percent. I am the opposite. I am definitely not. So, like, that's uh, – you've sold me enough to actually watch this eventually. So, it's that's, like, that's hard to do. It's So, if you're not a Sandler guy, it's it's hard because I think that, like, what the movie does is it takes the parts of Adam Sandler's, like, man-boy, like, over-intense acting from his comedies, right, and just, like, tilts it slightly on its axis and makes it – into a more like menacing evilish character. Interesting. So yeah, I'm surprised by um, this review, man. Honestly, like I was not expecting this. Yeah, this is I, Uncut Gems is like I have not stopped thinking about it since I saw it. I will say that. Um, like the movies that are like that for me this year, Parasite, um, Ad Astra. Honestly, I think is really good about that. Definitely Uncut Gems, Midsummer, also, and the. Honestly, The Irishman, like those aren't my five favorite movies this year, but they're the ones that have like stopped me in my tracks and made me think about it and want to rewatch again more than any other movies this year. It would appear that I have an expansive list to catch up on here. Yeah, I mean, I'm up to and I'm a psycho. Again, I keep track of every movie I've seen and like keep it rated in a personal folder. I'm up to 178 movies I've seen this year for the first time. 107 of which have been 2019 releases. So uh, I am I am uh, on on a roll here coming up to the end of the year. I'll probably release a best of at some point at the end of the year. It's a big flex for me, man. This is this is my life. I watch movies and I watch basketball and I write about basketball and podcast and only do some of those things well. Hey, we're all just trying to do the best we can, man. <laughs> Paul, tell the people where they can find your work. As usual on the stepbean.com, and uh, I don't have a lot else to add today, so I guess continue to listen to this podcast. That's all I've got. Uh, I'll be in Vegas this weekend at the G League Showcase. Uh, I 
am also going to see Ohio State, Kentucky. I'm also going to go see, I guess, UCLA, North Carolina. It was a lot more exciting when North Carolina was going to have Cole Anthony. But nonetheless, we'll get to see UCLA play. We'll get to see North Carolina. And you know, maybe, maybe we'll pick up on some uh, interesting players here that we didn't know about. But until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye. Thank you.